Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, my very special guest today was born in Texas, raised in Southern California. She has degrees in economics, creative writing, feminist studies from Stanford University, and she has a doctorate in law from Santa Clara University in California. She worked as a lawyer and organizer for Barack Obama's presidential campaign in 2008, and she later served as national organizing director of the Courage Campaign, which lays the groundwork for progressive change in California, in California itself. Um, she also is a leader and innovator in the racial justice movement, organizing Black People's Brunches, which brought together more than 12,500 people in 2018 and helping to set the organization's agenda in 2019 and beyond. Since joining Color of Change in 2012, she has ushered in some groundbreaking victories for Black communities, getting payment processors like MasterCard and PayPal to ban use of their platforms by white supremacists and persuading Saturday Night Live to add two black women to its cast and writer's room mid-season. She is currently vice president and chief of campaigns at Color of Change, leading campaigns on civic engagement, voting rights, criminal justice, and corporate and media accountability. We've not uh, seen one another since the pandemic and the quarantine and all that, so we're happy to have back with us Arisha Michelle Hatch. Dear sister, how are you? I am hanging in there. Thanks so much. So good to see you, and thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you back as well. And we want to talk about some of the things that Color Change has been doing and been very um, busy at doing. Rashad and I have been on a few conference calls. There's a lot going on. So let's start here. In uh, the context of this police demic, which 
kind of uh, predates the pandemic. We've been dealing with the police pandemic for a while. You all have managed to get at least one of these crazy cop shows off the air, right? Yes, 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 yes. Um, and it's actually a campaign that we've been working on for a while um, at Color of Change, one of my earliest campaigns back in 2013, where we started to talk to Fox about the show Cops, which I think we all have seen for decades. We've known is problematic for decades um, now. And we were at the time successfully able to get Fox to commit to not do any new episodes of Cops that of course moved to a smaller network. Um, and uh, just recently we were able to get that network to, to cancel uh, a new season of Cops. We were also able to convince um, A&E, who's been a long partner of Color of Change for the last several, of year, several years, uh, to decide to cancel uh, their highest performing show, Live PD. Um, and we're really excited about that sort of progress and the potential it has to shift uh, the culture of representation around policing in our country. Because what that, what those shows did was really glorify police in all of its misbehaving glory, it, it, didn't it? Yeah, beyond just the glorification and romantic, romanticization of policing, these shows were acting as actual PR arms of police departments. Every single production that is made in these reality TV um, series, the production company has an agreement with the police department. The police department can veto coverage. We've seen several instances where if police are, if there's an, an instance of excessive violence or an instance of a police killing, they bury that, they destroy that evidence. It never is aired um, because the point of it is not to give a transparent, authentic view of policing. The point of it is uh, to sort of, as you said, glamorize um, policing and the use of, ex and normalize the use of excessive force in black communities. Um, and, and that's important. I mean, we don't see shows. I, I, before uh, we even heard about Ahmaud Arbor, we're locked up in the pandemic, Carisha. And I binged on the BBC show. I think the name of it was In the Line of Duty. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the biggest series over there. And it is exclusively about police corruption. You know, now we know we get a lot of shows in this country that are spinoffs from original shows in other countries. But I never seen anybody try to put a show on TV here like this one, where the whole storyline was about police corruption and police misbehavior. It's as if the culture here is so interested in cover. I mean, we had some shows like The Wire and whatnot, but this was a whole dramatic series on it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I looked at it, I said, you know, they'll never let a show like that come on in America because they're too busy, you know, glorifying and, you know, normalizing uh, police behavior is right. But to actually have police under investigation for a whole series, a whole season, it was incredible to see. So, so those are big wins. Um, and and correct congratulations on those wins. Um, how much of a difference do you think it will make in the collective psyche of this country when they are not able to see those shows, those types of shows? 
Yeah, we know that it's hard to quantify, but there's been tons of research done and tons of studies about the impact of media representations on our worldview. Um, we recently released a report um, with in partnership with USC, the Norm Norman Lear School there, in which they went through uh, all of the crime procedural shows on networks, sort of the scripted crime procedural shows, as you were sort of mentioning, um, uh, the show that you were watching on the BBC, um, which is the first of its kind sort of research. And um, what we see is really dramatic, the way in which uh, a police officer in an episode can actually get away with unconstitutional unconstitutional behavior, behavior that any lawyer, anyone would say, this is an excessive use of force, this is discrimination, this is an un unconstitutional search, all sorts of things, and still be the hero at the end of the episode. There is zero critique in most shows. And as you mentioned, you know, this one show in the BBC, like, we know that it's possible um, to get a more accurate nuance um, you know, we've seen it here. You, you can go on Netflix and watch Seven Seconds or When They See Us. These are all like crime procedurals um, uh, that are making an effort. There are several other shows that are sort of making an effort. Um, and I think, you know, all we, you know, all we, you, all you have to do is turn on the TV, turn on the news the last three weeks to actually get a more accurate portrayal of police. I didn't see hero cops. I saw incompetence. I saw people harassing elderly people. I saw cops breaking down over not being able to get a sandwich at McDonald's. We saw a whole bunch of stuff that Black people have been experiencing for decades um, in this country. And it isn't this hero cop view. I don't, I don't, when I turn on the news, I don't see hero cops right now showing up. Right. Um, I, she, I see a system that continues to fail us. Yeah, yeah. Just to highlight a little bit of that study, um, as, as it came out, 81% um, of showrunners, 21 of 26 series, were white men in these types of shows. Um, the exceptions being Criminal Minds, Shades of Blue, Orange is a New Black, Seven Seconds, and Luke Cage. At least 81%, and see, this is another thing, at least 81% of writers were white with only 9% black across the genre, 20 of 26 series had either no black writers or just one black writer. Now that in of itself across Hollywood is one of the, the, the universal or global problems, isn't, isn't it? Because the people who are writing these stories don't look anything like us or really the audiences that they're marketing to. Because we watch streaming shows and television shows as African-Americans as much or more than anyone else, Arisha. Mm -hmm. It is no longer acceptable to us that folks will try to tell Black stories without hiring Black writers, um, without reaching out to Black families that have been impacted by the issues um, that the, the storylines are actually sort of talking about. And so like for us, the sort of diversity question, that's like low bar at this point. Mm -hmm. like. We expect um, to see an improvement there, but beyond that, we expect to also see um, a, a set of representations that are actually like authentic to the experience um, of the criminal justice system um, that we faced. And it, you know, I was staggered by the numbers um, um, to see them across an industry in that way. For years, we've just been saying this show is bad, this show is bad. No, this and sort of picking it apart, but to see it. Um, 
in a long-term view across a, a number of different shows, across a number of different um, networks, it's clear that there's a systemic problem that has to be addressed. And it's not enough um, for networks to put a tweet out or put up an image that says Black Lives Matter in this moment if they are contributing to and enabling these sorts of representations. And not to mention, a lot of these shows are the ones that are rerun all the time, 24-7 all the night, so they're ubiquitous. So again, folks, just a couple more examples of this, because I want to understand it, because you all, when I see it, when I name these shows, you say, yeah, it's on my TV all the time. Okay, three series that had 100% white writers, NCIS, Blue Bloods, Mindhunter, all right, 100% uh, white writers, five series that had or likely had more than 90% white writers, The Blacklist, now here too, everybody knows, or one, I should say, Law and Order, Special Victims Unit, that's on TV all the time, Blind Spot, 911, and Criminal Minds. Now, if in in this moment, if more people were aware that they were watching and supporting broadcasts, that you're talking about 190 percent of reach. You mean you can't find no black people? Mm-hmm. And we haven't gotten into the the the, the, the uh, gender lack of gender diversity. NCIS 80 percent male, Blue Bloods 75 percent male, NCIS Los Angeles 82 percent male, Elementary. 80% male, Blacklist, 80% male, uh, Blind Spot, 58% male, Chicago PD, uh, 60% male. You can't find any people of color or women to write nothing? Apparently, <laughs> apparently. I mean, they're clearly not trying um, too hard in this area. Um, and like I said, I think, you know, the numbers are just uh, staggering. Um, and I think, you know, we get a lot of questions, you know, black people are dying in the streets. Why are you talking about cops or why are you talking about um, law and order? Um, And the reason is because uh, these shows enable a culture where those sorts of abuses are allowed to happen. They enable a culture where people are allowed to say, yeah, go ahead and use a no-knock warrant and go shoot a woman while she's sleeping in her bed. Um, go ahead and put this man in a stranglehold over a $20 bill. Let's send four police officers out for a $20 bill. Um, and so, you know, that we're, we're, we're fighting the fight at the local level. You know, folks are pushing city councils to think about how they're investing in local governments. You know, we're electing progressive DAs, but we're also saying to media corporations, you have a role um, in continuing this law and order mindset that we know to be dated that we know doesn't work, doesn't lead to our communities being safer or to reducing crime. And we are trying to reimagine a new way and we expect to see that vision played out on our screens. It is a romanticization of that culture and the very clear effect we even see in the president of the United States. Rough him up, knock him in the head, because that's what cops did. And I'm be honest, a lot of us watched it, we thought it was funny. When the cops roll up on people, knock them upside the head, knock them down. And that's not funny anymore. Shouldn't have been funny in the first place. Okay, I'll get off of that. That's good work. <laughs> um, Facebook. Facebook. What, what's, what's the latest with Facebook? Which is a whole nother thing that we 
prop up too much, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we um, at Color Change, we've been involved in a, a long conversation with Facebook that sort of started with diversity um, and has moved deeper into uh, forcing them to do a civil rights analysis of their work. Um, and they've been doing that for the past couple of years. That um, analysis is revealed you know, several weaknesses and several glaring holes um, in the way that they approach the work um, in terms of the impacts on Black people. And so, you know, over the years, we've been, been involved in a conversation about how Facebook doesn't protect Black organizers and activists, how it's actually been censoring and suppressing um, while not dealing with a set of white supremacists who are harassing Black organizers um, uh, on a daily basis. We saw in 2016 how Facebook failed to prevent uh, foreign agents from, from creating fake Black Lives Matter pages to spread disinformation and actually increase voter disenchantment um, amongst Black people. Um, we're seeing now how they are refusing to uh, uh, check any sort of disinformation or incitement of violence from Trump because that campaign is spending so much money on their platform. And what is clear to us is that um, Facebook is too big, too powerful to, to, to no longer be regulated. And we are asking corporate advertisers, folks that spend millions and millions of dollars a year, tens of millions of dollars a year, advertising on Facebook to take a break for a month. Um, to give organizers this the space to be in um, real conversation with the leadership there and for them to make some changes. Um, and there's obviously still slow to do that, aren't there? Abs you know, absolutely, absolutely. You know, uh, we've been doing a lot of organizing work with employees inside Facebook and, you know, leadership is facing mm -hmm. a revolt. Um, from folks who are just like frustrated over the inaction. And so um, there's a set of internal pressuring hap uh, pressure happening. There's a set of external pressure happening. Um, but we are really looking for them uh, to address in a real way um, some concerns that we think, you know, are pretty basic. Like the president of the United States shouldn't be able to post something on Facebook that says, you know, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. He shouldn't be able to post, post something on Facebook that says, um, protesters will be treated differently in Tulsa. They shouldn't be able to buy ads using swastikas and, um, uh, you know, white supremacist uh, uh, iconography in order to in order to recruit more voters for them. Um, and so, you know, that's the conversation that we're engaged with Facebook and with. We feel like their inaction creates the potential for harm for their black users. And we're asking them to do something different. Tell us a little bit more, if you would, Arisha, about how they censor and suppress Black activists. Um, there was a, a whole report released um, a few years ago. I'm going to forget the publication that did like just great reporting on this, but they actually revealed um, a training document uh, that they give to their staff and in terms of how they are uh, dealing with race-centered uh, stuff that is put up there. And there was actually a training that told them Hey, if someone's, you know, talking about white identity or being a white male, this is acceptable. But if we're talking about other forms of identity, um, this is not acceptable. You should suppress that. Um, we've had numerous, numerous anecdotes of organizers whose information has been, um, private information has been shared by white supremacists, their addresses, their phone numbers, 
Facebook has failed to sort of shut down those pages, has not responded um, um, in that way. They've put, they've put our organizers in Facebook jail. They continue to throttle um, the pages of nonprofit organizations like Color of Change, forcing us to spend more money on their platform um, to even talk to our own members that are there. Um, um, and, you know, this is a, this is a, a piece of technology that was put out, you know, for good to change the world according to its founders. And it's now having all of these very dangerous impacts for black people. The thing about wanting us to spend more money on their platform is real. And I tell people all the time, I say, well, Mark, I'm just some on Facebook and it keeps getting the same number of views every day, 1500, 1200. I said, yeah, because they want you to spend money to get more views. Whereas rather than it just spread organically, you know, and, and they do that with us mostly. But again, here's the problem. Aren't we as African-Americans one of their biggest consumers? Absolutely. We're, we're complicit. You know, Facebook, there are more people on Facebook than adhere to Christianity. Like it is that big. And um, so it's not just black folks. It is... Uh, globally um, a phenomenon. Um, but we are, uh, for a lot of these social uh, uh, media companies, like we make them cool, we keep them relevant, um, they profit off us, they send us ads that are dangerous for, uh, for ourselves and for our family, um, and we're, you know, addicted to it. Um, and it's part of the reason that we're, um, you know, I know other folks have called, you know, or, and continue to call for people to, you know, shut down their Facebook accounts, which I think is great. But um, it's part of the reason that we now have this corporate advertiser strategy right. um, sort of saying to these corporations, no, actually, it's not okay for you to continue to profit, um, to continue to try to sell us stuff when this platform refuses um, to acknowledge the concerns of almost every major civil rights or uh, organization in the country. How's that going in terms of getting advertisers to pull out? Yeah, there have been a couple of folks um, uh, that have pulled out very publicly. Um, uh, North Face um, was one of the groups. Patagonia was one of um, uh, the corporations that pulled out. Um, we're in deep conversation with over a dozen corporations right now um, uh, trying to add to the list. Um, and the first people we started out with um, were the folks that emailed us or posted on their social media accounts that they cared about. Black lives. Right. Um, we, you know, folks have seen, you know, how I think corporations responded in a really different way in this moment than they have in the past. But we are now asking them to match that uh, with their values, with their practices. You know, this is important, and and this is a good campaign, folks. And and to me, we've got to figure out a way ultimately, not only to hold Facebook accountable and those types of platforms, but I wish we could figure out a way. And I mean, it's. I'm just saying this is not necessarily color changes ministry, <laughs> but we've got to build, we got to figure out a way to build our own platform for our people mm -hmm. so that we aren't so dependent. I mean, we go on Instagram, which is Facebook now, half a million to a million of us to watch versus to watch Erica Badu and Jill Scott. And this entity is treating us in the way that you just described. That's, that can't continue to work for us. That's 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 cognitive dissonance for us to lend that type of support and viewership to something that is treating us in the way you describe. I mean, that's just my editorializing. But mm -hmm. as people, we have to really think about that and order folks. Everyone under the sound of our voices should support 
this particular campaign. So for people who are listening, Arisha, what should they do um, to support the current campaign against Facebook? Is it a matter of people also reaching out to businesses with whom they, other businesses with whom they spend money that advertise on Facebook and say, I spend my money with you. We need you to pull out of Facebook. I mean, what would you suggest? Mm -hmm. What do we ask? Yeah. I I think there are a few things that you can do. One, you can go to colorofchange.org. The petition is there. If you sign that petition, you'll start getting updates on the different asks. Um, And, you know, every couple of days, we'll send out a new corporation that we're targeting. We'll ask folks to make calls or to share things on social media. And so um, that's one way to plug in. Another way to plug in is, uh, you know, as you said, Mark, if you have real power in a situation, if you um, are a decision maker at a business um, and uh, can begin the conversation within your corporation uh, uh, about, uh, you know, not participating in Facebook ads for this month. Um, you know, that's something we can also uh, help folks out with uh, as well. Um, but, you know, we are um, uh, working, we're not asking folks to do this for forever. We are asking um, corporations that support the broader movement for Black lives to cut off the financial source for a month uh, so that we have the space to engage in real conversations with Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg. Yeah, to create that tension. Mm -hmm. Color change involved in a number of important um, campaigns, including ending the war on black people, uh, several, a a whole list of things that need to happen to change the police. There needs to be defunding in the form of redirection of funds. And a whole lot of people have tripped out on that phraseology, but I think people finally get what it means, right? Arisha folks like, oh, you can't defund the police. But but I think people now finally understand what we mean when we say that, don't they? I, I'm hoping they do. Um, you know, I think for the first few weeks, we really had to work um, to define it because other folks were trying to define it for the movement. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of different examples and a lot of ways that this can look in local communities and should be owned by local communities. But, um, you know, I resist the urge or the temptation for us to like radicalize this idea. It is not radical in the middle of a pandemic where our healthcare system is strained, where schools are trying to reimagine how they're going to teach their children, where we're, you know, folks are, um, we have a tough economy and folks are losing their jobs, can't find affordable housing. It is not radical to say there needs to be more investment in those things. Um, versus the way that we're investing now. And so I'm hoping we've seen a, you know, a sea change in how people even embrace the the phrase Black Lives Matter um, over the last three weeks compared to the last five years. Um, And I am hopeful that we will continue to, um, people will be able to talk about the defund movement um, uh, in ways that are accurate. Folks, state of emergency, police violence against Black people, one, from color change. Strengthen police use of force policies. Two, end policing and prosecution of low-level offenses. Three, establish effective civilian oversight boards. Listen to that word, y'all. Oversight, oversight. Oh, not just civilian complaint review. We need that too, but we need oversight. Uh, uh, very, very important. Uh, point number four, respond to mental health crises with health care, not police. Five, require independent investigations of police violence. Six, 
in the profit motive in policing. Seven, invest in healthy communities, not policing. Eight, remove unfair protections for police officers in union contracts. Nine, increase transparency and accountability for police misconduct. And we want you to text demands to 55156 to get involved. Demands to 55156. Okay, Arisha, what else you're working on? Give us a, a heads up. Give us a little tease about what we're going to be doing next. I know me and Rashad oh. talking about something top secret off the record too ourselves. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many um, top secret things. You know, we've been working in partnership with Airbnb for um, about a year now um, around concerns that we've had with that platform. Um, and, um, it's a really rare thing for us to sort of collaborate, uh, with a corporation like this, but, um, we're trying to get them to, um, measure discrimination, discrimination that travelers and hosts face, um, based on their perception of race. And so our partnership is to actually with them is to actually prove with them that racism exists on their platform um, as a, a means to get them to look at different policy shifts. We're obviously in the middle of um, a huge election cycle. There are conversations at the national level about criminal justice reform. I mean, it's just just about everything we're working on is happening right now. Folks, I'm not just saying this because Rashad and I are friends and me and Arisha and Heather are cool. A color change is doing real work. It is scientifically measurable work. Some of us think that if we get a bunch of likes and retweets and reposts and shares, that we won. That's the, really all those are. Likes, retweets, reposts, and shares on the very social media that color change is, is trying to hold accountable. So so all of that is it really illusory. If we're not doing real work, bringing about real tangible change, then we're on the hamster wheel. So somebody called me the other day. Uh, want to give you all. Want, no, they said, Mark, we have a lot of money we want to give. And they said, well, who should we give it to? I said, color change. I did that because you all are actually doing the real work that's bringing about tangible results. Not to put others down, but folks, let's not give in to the illusion, especially on social media and Facebook, that the number of likes is actually alone bringing about change. And Arisha just said it's another word that's very important. She talked about local. Police are governed locally. We're not gonna, uh, reform local de police departments 30,000 feet in the air from Facebook and Twitter. So we got to get organized. Getwithcolorchange.org. Trust me, you will not regret it. You will feel an even greater sense of accomplishment than you feel just out here on your own. We have not had a successful movement at any time without organization. Colorchange.org. You know, org means organization. It's trying to... <laughs> <laughs> to do that. I, I'm, I'm through preaching, Arisha. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. I appreciate, you know, you're talking about the importance of institutions um, and building things that outlive, you know, singular figures. And, you know, there are 150 people at Color of Change that come in every single day. They 
get paid to think about how to improve the lives of black people. Um, and, you know, we're, we're out here trying, we're not always perfect, but we're out here um, trying to push things forward and actually not just have a big social media presence, but actually get into conversation with powerful decision makers and ask them to change their mind. Indeed. And you were doing just that. Folks, don't forget colorchange.org. Arisha Hatch is the vice president, director of campaigns as well. Thank you, Arisha. Give her the whole Thank team you. my regards. I'm at your service. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Thank you. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.